Welcome to The Legal Lowdown. I'm Diana Baudet. Today, we'll be talking with Barton Gilman education attorney Matt Plain about some of the issues that schools are facing in light of coronavirus and the related closures. Matt, thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Diana. Thanks for having me. Sure. So when we started talking about this, you had shared some very interesting issues that schools were confronting that are a little bit off the norm of what we've been seeing in most mainstream media. So I'd love to dig into some of the issues that you mentioned. And why don't we start with special education? Sure. That sounds great. So what kind of considerations are there um, for schools who have students that require special education in light of virtual or distance learning and assessments and teletherapy? There seem to be so many issues around that. There are. And as we're all well aware, or for folks that are likely tuning into this are well aware, the delivery of special education-related services, accommodations, modifications to the curriculum, things of that nature that our students receive during the typical school day. There's dense regulations. There's a host of laws that pertain to the delivery of that type of instruction. And so it's not unexpected to feel angst when we all of a sudden, on a moment's notice, need to pivot to virtual or distance learning. And a visceral reaction that folks had in the education arena, including parents, is will virtual learning or distance learning have the capacity to accommodate my child's needs under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act, given their disability, given their need for accommodations, modifications, and specialized instruction. Since we last updated our audience on this podcast, the U.S. Department of Education, along with the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights and Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services, have issued guidance to schools, to states, to families regarding the delivery of special education and the delivery of instruction uh, pursuant to IDEA in Section 504, and the U.S. Department of Education has been clear that under the circumstances that virtual and distance learning can be appropriate, obviously that can't be a blanket statement for each and every individual education program or each and every 504 program, but has certainly directed states and school districts and families, frankly, that distance education can accommodate in certain circumstances uh, unique learning needs of our students and that distance learning does not present insurmountable barriers in all instances to students with special education needs. Okay. And they've made that quite clear. Are you guiding clients at all on how they then should approach it? What exact process the schools should be following in order to set up that distance learning and how that should happen? We are. And we're guiding clients in a similar manner than how we guide them during the typical school day or school year, and that we should approach each plan individually. Mm -hmm. So now we know there's across the board method of delivery right now, for the most part, and that's virtual slash distance learning. 
So we know that's going to be the method. We know that that's going to be the placement for now. Mm-hmm. And in most instances, so in those instances, we're saying, oh, that's the placement. Take each case individually and determine as an IEP team or a 504 team, determine which services you can deliver through virtual distance learning, which components of the student's education plan you can deliver through other means, telephonically, by providing work and getting feedback at regular intervals. Mm -hmm. In very limited circumstances, and I would caution folks to proceed extremely carefully with this, there may be some in-person, albeit with appropriate social distancing uh, type services that are still being provided, although I think you'll see things like that fade away across the country uh, in relative short order. But to take each and every instance individually and determine what you can do and what you can't do. Now, there was a question regarding some related services that districts are required to provide to students under either their IEP or their 504 plan, like counseling services. And prior to this emergency, Counseling services were typically something that were not provided telephonically. They weren't provided digital means through Zoom and Skype and Google Hangout and the different tools we're seeing employed today and and throughout this virtual learning experience. And the various federal and state agencies are weighing in and offering districts flexibility in directing districts and states and districts to use not just caution, because we have an obligation to protect student health information under HIPAA, and we have an obligation to protect student education records under FERPA, the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a provider delivering instruction in this manner, we're being directed to proceed on a good faith basis and to ensure to the extent possible that you can put these protections in place and to use methods for reaching the students that have been vetted, that to the extent you can know have protections in place that they do, and to use discretion and to weigh um, the need to, to connect with the student, with obviously with student safety, obviously with, with student privacy. And by counseling, does what falls under that umbrella, does that include mental health, audiology, physical therapy? Are there limits to what you mean by counseling? I meant counseling in in my last response in the traditional sense. If a student had one-on-one counseling from, let's say, a school psychologist or from a school social worker in their plan, Mm -hmm. uh, I meant it in that regard, or there could have been an itinerant provider that that was a component of the student's education plan. Uh, But there's going to be related services that students with special needs will have a need to access so that they can access a free, appropriate public school education. Mm -hmm. And in some instances, these related services like occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, it may be possible to continue to provide these types of related services through the channels that we have accessible to us right now. In some instances, there may be barriers. Some of those may be temporary because we may learn ways to work with that as we proceed in this, what's likely to be an extended period of time where we're engaged in distance and virtual learning. We need to ensure that IEP teams are meeting and that families, parents, guardians, 
who are critical members of these IEP teams are part of those IEP reviews. Mm-hmm. In, in some instances, it may be, and it will likely be, that because we can't provide some of these services the way we would in the normal course, in the student's individualized education program or 504 plan requires those related services, that that student may be entitled to what's called compensatory services down the road. And compensatory services are typically owed to a student when they would have otherwise received them or should have otherwise received them and didn't. Mm -hmm. And we need to have IEP and 504 teams, schools and school districts, prepared to include or contemplate the inclusion of compensatory services for these students when we ultimately find ourselves in in some semblance of a normal education routine. Mm -hmm. Maybe this school year, maybe not. Maybe that'll be next school year. Yeah. Our schools, this is kind of a grim thought, but it just popped into my head. Will there be any repercussion for a school if a student in the special education spectrum is kind of left behind? If the school's just overwhelmed and doesn't get to somebody to the extent that they should, is there something that the school should be aware of would be a consequence for that? Well, the schools and school districts, local education agencies have an ongoing obligation to provide each student a free, appropriate public school education. And that's not changing, even though we're in this emergency and we're in this crisis. So short answer is yes, the districts, our schools still need to be mindful of that obligation. That all said, the federal government, the various state governments are indicating that we should all be flexible and that we should all be reasonable and that we should all operate in good faith. Mm -hmm. And repercussions, I don't think in your question was a term of art, but it will work with families like we always do in the education arena to ensure we're providing what's appropriate. And it will likely be clear to folks when a service is not provided. And we're encouraging schools to contemplate these things and and make plans to the extent possible when they can in their IEP review meetings. Mm -hmm. And there is a plan ensure that the student has an opportunity to progress academically consistent with their plan, whether that's an IEP or a 504 or to get access to services pursuant to a 504 plan. We're just mindful of the challenges doing that in the current environment. As each day goes by, I will develop new strategies for addressing the needs of all of our students, including students with IEPs and 504s. I'm extremely confident of that. In times like these, we all need some inspiration. And right now, a source of extreme inspiration are our educators. They're moving mountains. And they're, yeah, they're, they they're undertaking Herculean tasks with no notice and with barriers to the normal tools at their, at their fingertips or within their districts to ensure that students can continue with their education and continue learning. And from what I can tell with clients and from what I can tell observing others in the broader community and with colleagues in the community, that educators are working so hard around the clock to make sure this happens. And I know I'm grateful and I know folks around are extremely grateful for these efforts. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. And I heard something earlier today talking about this situation really highlights how important schools and educators are beyond the classroom education that kids receive there. 
and just how pivotal they are in the community on so many different levels. And it's so true. I hope it I hope it shines a light on an area that doesn't get enough attention. I spent four years as a teacher and in our teacher's lounge, there was a saying that was printed up and posted on the wall about teachers that said, we the willing, led by the unknowing, are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We have done so much for so long with so little. We are now qualified to do anything with nothing. And I think about that all the time when I have the great pleasure to interact with educators. And certainly in these these last couple of weeks, as I've seen these folks just, like I said earlier, perform Herculean tasks to ensure that our kids can access high quality education in unsettling times. Yeah, yeah. So the other kind of hot news last week that came out, which received a, a lot of play and coverage, was the Department of Education announcing that basically states could waive their use of standardized testing for the remainder of the 2019 and 2020 school year. I know that topic has been covered and it's been in the news a lot, but I think today uh, your input on, so now that that has been set out there, what kind of accountability is there going to be on that? And how are you tackling the concept of advising schools in that area? First, I should qualify all of my responses, and I should have qualified this at the outset, that this is what we know today. And the guidance from state government, from federal government, from local governments has evolved each and every day. And that's understandable and appreciated. It has to, given that the circumstances keep changing. But you summarize the guidance that we're giving at this time, and that's that the Secretary of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, announced that states can bypass standardized testing for the 2019-2020 school year due to COVID-19. I had seen a message circulated the other day where it had been not just suggested, but stated that Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos canceled standardized testing. And I understood what that person was intending to convey, but that can cause some confusion. So the directive from the U.S. Department of Education is that states can seek waivers. And there's a waiver form that can be submitted. If they submit that request for a waiver for one year, then it will relieve them of obligations to administer those statewide tests during this school year only. Whether that extends is, is not known at this time, and that mm-hmm. those waivers will not only relieve them of obligations from administering the test, but those, obviously, if we don't have those tests, then those won't be included in accountability determinations for states and schools, and they will be included in state data local report cards because we won't have them. Can you clarify what you mean exactly by standardized testing? You know, I'm from Massachusetts, and I understand that the state standardized tests are the MCAS, but I'm not clear on whether or not SATs, ACTs, or AP exams fall under that umbrella as well. Do you have clarity? Yes. So that's a great question. So for purposes of the directive from the U.S. Department of Education, we're contemplating waiver. The states will contemplate waivers for the standardized tests that are used for their state and district report cards. 
And these are standardized tests that are issued to all students with very, very limited exceptions in certain grades district-wide. So in Massachusetts, it's the Massachusetts Comprehensive Assessment System in Rhode Island, so Rhode Island Comprehensive Assessment System. So the waivers would be for those tests that are administered district-wide that contrast that with something like the SAT, the ACT, mm-hmm. or the Advanced Placement Exam administered by entities that are not generally the district or the state. In the case of the SAT or the AP, those tests are administered by the college board. The college board has at least postponed or canceled certain administrations of the test and has not yet canceled as we sit here right now. The June 2020 administration of the test, that could change. AP exams, I think it's probably clear that the typical way in which advanced placement exams are administered won't be the same, in, at least in the short term. Whether there's other ways to administer advanced placement exams for students that took advanced placement courses in our secondary schools, that's certainly possible. That's typically not something that would require a waiver from the U.S. Department of Education. We're generally referring to the state standardized tests like RICAS and MCAT when we talk about those. How are things going in terms of HR considerations in, if you can speak to Massachusetts and Rhode Island schools, I'm assuming that going online and doing everything virtually is probably popping up some HR issues for schools? And if so, what kinds of issues are they facing? So the work environment has changed. You typically would drive up to park at and enter a brick and mortar building to perform your job as an educator in every, in most instances throughout the country. And now in most instances throughout the country, teachers, administrators, support staff are performing the functions of their job from their homes. In limited instances, at least in our region, there are folks that are going into the building while hopefully employing appropriate social distancing directives and being as safe as possible. But for the most part, at least in in our region, education is delivered virtually through distance learning, and folks are doing those things from their home. And in those instances, we are relying in large part on the honor system that folks are starting when they're supposed to start and ending when they're supposed to end and putting the appropriate planning in. We hope that in the normal course, folks were having employees complete and execute timesheets indicating the amount of time they spent on the job. Some variation of that is probably appropriate now. I would be shocked if that was the very top consideration of schools and school districts right now. We know that in large part, folks are working tirelessly to ensure that they can deliver these education programs to all of their students across the board appropriately and in a manner that is designed to lead to academic progress. That all said, at some point, it is not only an expectation that we get comfortable with our new working environment, And as we get comfortable, we're going to settle back in into some of the normal human resources personnel considerations that we've had. So there's going to be instances for child care reasons or health reasons or other reasons that 
employees can't be at work on time, can't be at work on a particular day, might need additional assistance, might need support in some regard. And so we're encouraging our educators and our leaders and administrators to be mindful that these folks are moving mountains, to be mindful that we need to be flexible and also to be creative so we can learn new efficient ways in which we can help guide our employees, ensure that they're in an environment where they can thrive. And so getting some semblance of a normal work routine in a way in which we can provide support for our teachers, for our educators, for our administrators and support staff, it's critical. And it's not an expectation that administrators are going to start virtually following teachers and support staff along with a virtual clipboard, but it is hoped that there'll be routine interactions between and among our educators in a school environment to ensure that we're all doing our job. And there's going to be instances where folks are working in excess of what they quote signed up for. And in those instances, we're going to have to be mindful that there's at some point folks are going to probably inquire into what that means for them. And right now, the way in which everybody's coming together in the education arena, like I said earlier, has been inspiring. And I don't expect that to change, but I do expect that we're going to get some of the garden variety work issues that we would get in a what used to be the typical days in relative short order. And that's about people showing up, people doing their work, people getting appropriate support, people getting appropriate evaluations and input, people getting good feedback so that they can learn learn and grow and, and improve and do the best they can for their students. Yeah. And do you have recommendations for schools and administrators on how to sort of stem the tide of those issues coming up? For now, be mindful that that is on the very long list of tasks that you need to undertake in relative short order. We're trying not to overwhelm people because folks are working at this point almost around the clock to ensure that they're delivering the education. We're in Rhode Island. We're in day two of virtual distance learning. And so we're still ironing out some kinks, some access challenges, some user error issues, things like that. And we're trying to find the best way that we can to deliver the education as smoothly as possible. So the personnel issues are obviously important. Step one is ensuring the kids can get access to education. And then another step is let's ensure that we're all working together in a collaborative manner and figure out what is designed to work the best and then start doing it. And if we're not doing it the way in which we're expected to do it, there'll be input, there'll be feedback, and there'll be suggestions on how we can improve and grow. And those things, we'll settle into those things at some point soon. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be different because We're going to get individual challenges and barriers. There's some folks that may not have been as proficient with the internet and with Zoom and Google Hangout and that other side. And so they could very well be the most effective educators around, but there's this tool that they're expected to master in relative short order that's going to interrupt 
for a short period of time, we all hope, their performance. And so we have to be patient with those types of things and get those folks the support they need. So we need to ensure that we're not just walking around giving people the merits, but that we're finding out where the need is and finding out how we can support that need. And I'm encouraged to see folks within schools and school districts working in an extremely collaborative manner to help each other. And I'm also excited to see that community-based organizations and different types of support networks are out there offering assistance, in many cases at no cost, just to ensure that that kids are going to get education. So that's been great. Yeah, that is great. Another area that schools must be thinking about right now as they wonder how long the school closures are going to last is vendor services and the contracts that schools have with their vendors. Do you have advice on what schools should be doing right now? Folks should be taking inventory of their various obligations. So in the first few days of all of this, obviously, the school communities came together nicely and we're extremely supportive, and the various service providers and vendors, it appeared, at least from where I sat, that folks were coming together and doing what they needed to do, one, to stay safe, to stay healthy, and then after that, to find a way to deliver education. And now some of the realities are setting in. We're, in some instances, paying more for things that we didn't think we were going to have to even have, let alone pay more for because of the new way in which we deliver education. Some schools had to buy more Chromebooks or set folks up with internet service or during the school closures needed to provide meals and that wasn't necessarily reimbursable. So in some instances, one-time costs, uh, in some instances, maybe having to bring on additional staff to help the way in which we deliver these types of things or engage other organizations. And then now we're we're looking at the money coming in, which in many instances was a finite sum that won't go up, notwithstanding this crisis, and what the obligations are going to be for the rest of the school year. And folks might look at that and see a shortfall. And then we're looking at the things that are no longer happening because we're not in our buildings. So in some instances, we may have had a deep clean, and hopefully in all instances, we did have a deep clean and your regular maintenance, your regular cleaning services, landscaping, things like that. They may not be going on in the normal course because school's just not operating. We're not transporting kids right now. So school transportation services aren't operating the way they were. School meals programs, there's grab and go meals across All these folks, all these vendors have been great in offering and providing support, but some things just aren't happening in the normal course. You may have had other obligations, whether it's with your internet service at the school or lease obligations. It could be anything, really, any type of contract or agreement, written or not written, that a school or school district has with an entity for services. And that is the the entity or the organization's obligation. And then the school's obligation is to is to pay for it. In those instances, you want to review your contracts to determine what, if anything, you're obligated to do now that we can't physically access, at least in the normal course, our buildings. 
And then in some instances, schools are going to be required to perform. That may be to provide access. You may have had an ongoing relationship or agreement with a community-based organization where they used the gym every Tuesday and Thursday night at the cost, and Mm -hmm. the district or the school received revenue for that. Well, you probably have an agreement, and part of the school or the school district's obligation under that agreement is to provide access to the facility. Well, if you can't provide access to that facility, then you can probably reasonably expect that that organization is going to stop paying at some point, or at least notify you that they intend to stop paying. So if you depended on that revenue, sure. then maybe some revenue that won't be coming in. So those are some things that we're going to need to start thinking about. I'm sure most have already started thinking about that. We've heard folks say, well, there's a state of emergency. There's a worldwide pandemic. Therefore, nobody can reasonably expect me to have to do this. Of course, that's understandable. That all said, there are contractual obligations and those contractual obligations typically involve performing, whether doing something or paying for something. So we need to ensure that we're looking at those things. You've probably heard the phrases force majeure and acts of God or vice major discussed mm-hmm. in these scenarios. Uh, a force majeure is a unexpected occurrence, and it's usually an unexpected occurrence that's somehow a human-initiated unexpected occurrence. And compare that with a related provision that you see in a contract is the uh, acts of God or vice major, or superior force, and then those are generally natural events. Think about something like an earthquake. Uh, An earthquake um, might hinder uh, the ability for folks to access the facility. And if you had an earthquake and it did that, then that may implicate a particular provision of a contract. So you hear folks talk about them together. Sometimes they're separate. They're different. And they're also drafted differently in contracts. And so whether one contract has a force majeure that allows for an out doesn't necessarily mean that another contract's going to provide for the ability to get out of an obligation. Depends on the language. So our advice to folks now is take inventory of your various obligations, and those obligations may be to perform or to provide a service or to provide access, or those obligations may be to pay for something and have those contracts reviewed so that you can determine what your obligations are and what you need to do to notify the other party that because of this circumstance that you can't or don't expect to maintain your previous obligation to pay or perform the service. And that's key. Just because you have it in the contract doesn't mean it's necessarily implicated In most instances, there's some sort of notice provision. All right. That's excellent advice. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today and talking through these issues. They are very interesting, and not all of them have really been discussed as much as I've seen some other things. So this, I think, is probably very helpful to schools in Massachusetts and Rhode Island in particular. And I do want to take a minute not only to thank you for your time, but to thank you very much for highlighting 
how important teachers are in, in schools and the administrators and that they're an area that deserve a tremendous amount of respect, not only through this crisis and how they're responding, but hopefully it will highlight how much in general they deserve our respect. Agreed. Agreed. And I would encourage folks to, most of us are connected to an educator in some way, whether it's through our children, our, our own educators in our life, a family member, they not only could use, but deserve a huge thank you for everything they always do, but certainly in circumstances like this for everything they're doing. Yeah. For our listeners, a lot of our content is available on our website, and it's also circulated on our social media accounts. You can find our website at www.bglaw.com and search for us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have any questions or concerns, you can also contact us through our website and through the phone number 888 888- 273-9903. Thank you for joining us and stay healthy and be well. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888-273-9903 for more information. Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York, offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades, including Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, the Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.